0: Hello and welcome to Postgres FM, no, episode number one. Pilot episode.
1: Pilot episode, Pilot episode. yeah. Okay. I'm Michael, I'm from PG Mustard and I'm joined today by... Nikolai Samokhvalov. Don't try my last name unless you have uh, Russian or Ukrainian roots or Bel- Belarusian roots. So yes, I'm Nikolai from Postgres AI. Wonderful. Looking forward to these. Let's discuss why we do it because i felt uh, so long that we should have some podcast pure podcast without any screencasting or slides and so on because it's also a good format to have some discussion and i feel like meetups died because of covid uh, they, they started to die be- before covid but covid uh, finished them completely so we it's it's very hard to to meet at some place and have some pizza and beer and this disc- i mean people still do it but only like 10 persons come and so on like it's it's not it's not working well so we need more formats i know many people hate uh, on purely online formats but I, mm-hmm. I actually i actually love them and i think we should mm-hmm. experiment with more and more styles of formats and the postgres community needs some podcast that's why we discussed with michael and uh, we should start postgres FM probably right M- maybe it will die also but who knows right but i i i, I hope not <laughs>
0: Why, why yeah, do you exactly. do it? I, yeah, well, I, I love podcasts in general. I love them for learning. I find them really helpful. I can, I can listen to them at times where I can't watch a video or I can't attend an event. I find them really helpful in terms of learning, but also getting to know people in the community, getting to see different guests, getting to hear interesting conversations between people that I probably wouldn't be a part of generally. So I love them as kind of uh, an insight into something that you're not necessarily familiar with already or a way of keeping up with people that you don't talk to all the time like that's quite a nice format as well but yeah basically thought it'd be interesting I thought I would like to listen to this right I would like to listen to a couple of people talking about Postgres each week or t- discussing something that is you know super interesting or controversial or not yet decided or a common issue that people see all the time something that I've just hit or might be able to avoid hitting in future that kind of thing
1: Right. Uh, the same. I, I'm just tra- sometimes f- trying to fill gaps when I like walk my dog or I'm in an airplane, just I have some time and I want to not just some entertainment, but something useful. And podcast is great for this kind of gaps to fill. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Let's let's start with some topics we have. I, I, I think we like in general, we will try to talk more about performance, but maybe not only. Right. But definitely about Postgres. As yeah.
0: I think service. always about Postgres. I think,
1: based on what we focus on we probably will end up bringing
0: performance topics more than most would but equally i think we're we're open to suggestions from other people as well as to what what you'd be interested in, in hearing about so yeah we're very
1: open on the topics front my opinion about performance it was surprised to me but i think not everyone is interested in performance not every engineer who who writes sql is interested in performance this is discovery i i made like it's like it. It feels like the most interesting part, like scale, scalability, performance, these kinds of topic. But I, I found many people not just interested. They just need some query to work and return proper results, and that's it. So, like, <laughs> I, I I wish everyone to be interested in performance. But <laughs> anyway, let's let's start with. The first topic.
0: Well, I'm interested in that one actually. Do you find there's a pattern as to who cares and who doesn't care so much, or is it that they they only care if it's below a certain threshold, or is it that they care about one thing way more?
1: I think we, yeah, I think we're moving towards one of the topics we wanted to discuss, and thre- yeah, the word the word f- threshold is like is good here. So I, what I observe in organizations from like small startups that grow very fast, like several times, all numbers increase several times per year, or very large organizations with thousands of people and hundreds of engineers, I I observe quite good pattern, like not good, like obvious pattern where when uh, business dictates uh, feature delivery to be very fast, like a lot of competitors around. So requirements are very strict. So we need to move fast. So developers mostly interested in having features delivered like daily, for example, right? So very, very fast, move very fast. And under this pressure, they don't have time to have the best performance ever, right? They don't have this, like, they just don't have time. So they they start to move, like, okay, it works, let's go. And but the problem is, who defines this threshold? Like who, where is the minimum and who checks it? How, how to check it? It's, yeah. it's usually a problem. So sometimes you observe very good performance when you develop the feature, but when you deploy it, it's not good. Or you deploy it also good, but one year later, nobody touched this code. It, it, it left unoptimized. You have more data and, and the query degrades. So my threshold, I, I have my threshold. I wrote an, uh, an article about it. So uh, it, it's like a, every web page should be faster than like 200, 300 milliseconds, one second is ma- absolute maximum. Mm-hmm. Uh, and since we consider a page or API request, of course, and since every page or API request may consist of multiple SQL queries, It may have zero, but sometimes we have dozens of queries. It's not good. Sometimes we have like a loop with queries. Of course, it's not good. But in general, it means like if we have requirement for a web page to be not not longer than one second, it means that general requirement for SQL to be not longer than dozens of milliseconds. And also, my article also describes where this number comes from. Where does it come from? Uh, Human perception it's like 200 milliseconds uh, reaction of any human, plus minus 50 maybe. So if you press some button, you expect a reaction below 200 milliseconds, better 100 milliseconds. yeah, I think right. I've
0: heard. Is it below a hundred milliseconds? It feels instantaneous. Anything right. above that, we can perci- right. we perceive some delay, even if it's not instant. Yeah. So I, I know exactly where you're coming from, on that makes a lot of sense. So qu- I guess the question is: Do you see a lot of companies that generally have way worse than that
1: performance uh, and still don't care? Of course. Well, yes, 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 <laughs> a lot. So, uh, if users don't complain, uh, oftentimes we just don't care. Like, we, ha- we have some functionality, it's working, but we have so many things to create, to compete with others, right, to to expand, to grow. So if users don't complain, sometimes you see some pages or API requests are, are above one second in duration, and nobody cares. Yeah. You can see it in, from logs, actually, you can check. If you have, for example, log min duration statement, longer than one second, for example. And here we can discuss percentiles, right? So not only every query should be below one second or below 100 milliseconds. We say 99% should be below, right? So any big project should talk in these terms. But uh, sometimes we have a lot of slow queries and nobody cares until big feedback loop works. Big feedback loop is, is when a lot of users start to complain and management understands it's a big problem
0: or churn even right like you hear some users complain but you realize that it's the ones that are churning that are the ones complaining they're the ones right that, well yeah. you know it's real dollars that are being affected or you know e-commerce maybe your conversion rate on the pages e commerce no-
1: knows how to measure every, yeah. <laughs> every second of downtime or at least minute of downtime so yes D- degradation is um, tricky in terms of how to measure it in dollars but also maybe it's possible i think it's possible again if you check slow slow query log usually a lot of things are happening. i mean in, in a large co- a large company or a large project a lot of uh, bad things i mean if, if you have luxury to to get a few weeks for optimization there is always in a large project to uh, to fill them with optimization right <laughs> but yeah it's it's a decision yeah. from management let's optimize and be prepared for further growth yeah,
0: So I've seen some exceptions. that I guess I think you're probably, I've read your post and I think it's great. I think you're probably accounting for them because they probably fall a little bit into the analytical uh, workloads, but some applications almost do analytics as OLTP. So they might be an analytics product. And if they let you set a few filters and it takes a few seconds to load, sometimes that's acceptable from a user, but that seems like the, they, they seem like the exceptions where the user understands that it's doing something Complicated or data-heavy behind the scenes, and if they're if they're waiting for that on a one-off basis and it's only a few seconds, they seem okay
1: with it. But yeah, yeah some, I think some, that's probably only at the exceptions. Some complex search, it may it may may be okay, but usually the question is what will happen in a few years when we have when we will have a lot of data, much more data than today. If today we have ten terabytes, in a few years we might have fifty terabytes. What will happen? So if it yeah. takes three seconds today, it may be already above 10 seconds in future. And, of course, like, well, people usually are okay to wait a second or two during performing a search, uh, from my opinion, but still not good. <laughs> we should optimize. Yeah. And the
0: examples I've seen where you mentioned people scaling and having problems there. Sometimes these startups, they bring on a customer who has three, four times more data than all of their other customers combined. You know, when they're in a, an early phase, that's not that unusual. And if they haven't tested, sometimes, well, performance drops off a cliff or some, something goes badly wrong. Uh, we've seen that a few times. So it's, yeah, super interesting uh, to think of pla- like planning ahead, but most companies don't seem to because, as you say, there it, it has to be a focus on feature delivery and you know investors need updates and their customers want certain things delivered in certain time frames that kind of thing
1: yeah well so what it, can we do it, what can we do to help people well first first thing to define some some thresholds as you said maybe it can be defined in the form of like if some sres are involved they have some methodologies to control uptime and so on so similar approach can be apply it here like we can say we have good quality if for example 99% of all queries are below 100 milliseconds we define it in the form of slo service level objective and we start monitoring it we start having alerts if it goes down we perform also second thing we perform from time to time, like at least once per per quarter we perform analysis of current situation and also we try to predict future, so like some capacity planning. Are we okay with numbers growing that that we observe or we predict our thresholds to be broken already in in next quarter? So this is like usual approach to growing project and then we should of course go down and uh, perform query analysis and optimization. Analyzing whole workload, but it's a whole different topic. Probably we should discuss it separately. Yeah Well, uh,
0: and the slow query looks a great way of getting started Right, the log min duration statement If people don't have that turned on that feels really sensible for pretty much everybody I've seen startups that don't do any monitoring yet. They don't do any performance monitoring So the idea of even getting the 99th percentile might be a stretch But if you
1: if you just start logging the absolute worst queries yeah, I saw this. So so what I describe is for larger organizations. So yes. like, like it's, it's it's already sound like some bureaucracy involved, right? So yeah. <laughs> some processes, but it works uh, in a larger organization we need to do a, a little bit more complex process to be established. But in, if you it's a small startup, a few engineers only, I saw this. CTO with a couple of engineers, very small startup. By the way, it was very successful and sold recently to very large company. But in the beginning, like three or four years ago, I saw them, CTO, having every query that went to uh, Postgres log because of log min duration statement, 500 milliseconds or so. It it was sent to Slack, an immediate reaction. So they tried to achieve zero (laughs) Zero events for this. In the beginning, it's fine, but this process doesn't scale well. Uh, At some point, you will be overwhelmed, of course. But in the beginning, it's good. It's like you react to every occurrence of slow query. That's great. Anything else you wanted to cover on this one? Well, not at this point, I think. It's enough for about slow queries. Maybe we can talk about slow transactions, because it's quite a different topic. Related, but different, right? Yeah, go for it. So we we here like we maybe like we, you you discussed analytical workloads, but looks like we mostly d- discuss OLTP workloads. For mm-hmm. so it means like web and and mobile apps. So if we talk about transactions, we, we should understand like there is a query, transaction, and sessions. Three levels. Uh, and to to execute a query, you need to have a transaction. Even if you don't define it, it will be defined automatically. A single query, like it's like implicit transaction anyway. I, I had Ruby developers when they say I will run this uh, database uh, migration without transaction. It's not possible, <laughs> right? And, and this disable DDL transaction. It's wrong, wrong term. You cannot disable transactions in Postgres. Yeah. But but still, this like. Uh, weird term it's it's used so you you need to open transaction but you cannot open transaction if you don't open a session right so like it's like mm-hmm. one inside another and the problem with transactions long transactions is that they are two problems first if you acquired an, uh, some exclusive lock and keep it it's always kept until the very end of transaction either commit or rollback so you need to stop. Otherwise, you're still keeping it. So it, it means you can block out And the second problem is autovacuum. You, if you keep transaction open, even if it's read-only transaction, and sometimes even if it's on a replica, on a standby server, if hot standby feedback is on, uh, it means that uh, autovacuum cannot delete freshly dead tuples, right? So we block some autovacuum work at least partially. But the first problem is the most um, like it can be seen immediately if you keep long transaction and you can you can have a storm of locking issues so this this means like ideally transactions should be also below one second right oh interesting yeah right because otherwise imagine you acquired the lock in the very beginning of transaction and someone also trying to acquire this lock so you updated a row and someone also tries to update the same row and this happens in the beginning of your transaction if you keep it longer than one second, you you may block this session for longer than one second. So our previous topic will be broken as well. Right? So this this is a similar thing. Th- that's why yes. I always say wh- when you split work t- into batches, try to find some batch size that will allow you not to exceed one second roughly. Exactly because of this. Right? Awesome. <laughs> So, what
0: going back to the, the folks that aren't, don't have much of this setup at all, um, what would you recommend them logging or monitoring?
1: Yeah, well, every monitoring should have monitoring for long transactions. And I see most of monitoring fails to, to have it, just fails. Like, they don't have it. They don't report what, like, we cannot, we open monitoring and we cannot answer the simple question what is the longest transaction? What's its duration right now? Is it five minutes? Is it one hour? We are interested in this. We just, even just we don't discuss Autovacuum vacuum and uh, Xmin horizon here, just this simple question. And uh, I think this is first step you should have it in any monitoring. If it is if it's missing you should add it. And then you should have alerts again. Like soft or hard alerts like uh, if some transaction is running longer than 10 minutes already not good like like it's already a bad situation of course sometimes you should exclude some transactions for example uh, vacuum can run longer but regular transactions should be under control in OLTP we cannot allow somebody just open transaction and keep it forever yeah so I know you're focusing on the first part of this but the second part
0: does feel worth mentioning in terms of avoiding transaction id wraparound like I know I know some small companies shouldn't get anywhere close to it at least for a long long time but we've seen big companies over the last few years get tripped up by that and feels like maybe they might not have been monitoring for this kind of thing even at these large companies on, with massive scale
1: right 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 one of consequences of uh, keeping transaction very long is you block out vacuum as well and you, it, it cannot delete freshly that tuples if you do it sometimes people open transaction and keep it for several days if you're um, modifying queries or transactions are coming at very high rate, it's, it can be a problem as well. But I observe usually al- already every monitoring has it. Like, I'm less concerned here because I just see, Great. for example, DataDog has it. Others also implemented it exactly because of this very painful experience from MailChimp and Sentry before, like several years ago. It's good that those guys, by the way, blogged about it. It's it's, that's visibility. Yeah. Yeah, blogging is very, very important. So I guess even in my mind, I don't have a very good model for monitoring, ideal model, because we should distinguish various types of transactions. Modifying which acquired log and also uh, they have real uh, transaction ID or the only transactions th- on standby. And like different things, right? So, so may- maybe we should have a couple of monitorings aimed to different purposes. One is f- for locking issues another is for autovacuum issues. By the way, you, you, we, we can discuss a different thing, not transaction duration, but Xmin horizon. And only then we care where it comes from from our transaction on our primary or from replication slot or somehow. Else. So, so maybe we should have different things to monitoring charts, metrics, right?
0: Yeah. The other thing that interplays with this, that I think I've heard you speaking
1: about before, are timeouts. So to protect against some oh. of these... Yeah, I recently had one company, quite already big startup, and mm-hmm. they experienced a lot of issues because of lack of timeouts involved. And once again, we saw the problem that Postgres doesn't have a very important handle, actually. Somebody should develop it. Maybe I should develop it, but I'm, I'm not uh, a hacker anymore. First, what do we have? If we talk about like session, transaction, and query statement so three yeah. levels, we can limit statement using statement timeout, but we cannot limit transaction. There is no such way in Postgres at all. That's it. <laughs> can, we lim- can we do session? Uh, session, I, I think it's, it's usually, if it comes through Pidgey Bouncer, we can limit idle sessions, so we can, say, drop connection if it, like, I don't remember the concrete names out, out of top I of my head, mean. but, right, but it's, I think this is possible, but session is less a problem. is is not a big problem. Transaction, I would, I would prefer to have a way to limit transaction duration, but there is no such But way. if we... If we kill the session, that kills the transaction, right? Of but course, it, I guess if right. it's only, only if it's right. idle, yeah. Interesting. Well, But like if transactions are small, session, for example, can be very long. I mean, you established connection yes, yesterday yes. and continue working politely, like very small transaction, uh, very brief. Why should we kill you? We can limit statement and we can limit breaks between statements inside transaction. It's called idle transaction session timeout, uh, very long name. So we can limit statement, limit breaks, pauses between statements. And everyone should do it, actually. I, I think a, any LTP should start with... Like we had a discussion on Twitter uh, some time ago, and I'm a big fan of global default, very limiting for LTP projects. Those who need it to extend, they can do it in session or for user. But uh, in LTP, I prefer like to see statement Timeout 30 seconds. I don't, uh, I don't transaction session timeout also like 30 seconds, sometimes even 15. Imagine a transaction which consists of what, like a chain of very small, very brief statements with small pauses between. You don't break any timeout settings in this case. And your transaction can last hours. And I saw it. Yeah. So it's uh, this bad. is it's a bad. really important <laughs>
0: point. Yeah. And it seems actually potentially very tricky. When do you see people j- using? multi query transactions. So like, let's say the the rails app that we were talking about?
1: Well, with long transactions, we have two risks, again, like locking issues, so you can block others, and it can be very painful, and auto vacuum. So what I saw, people don't understand this simple idea that locks are released in the very end. And they split work into batches, but these batches are inside one transaction block. And it's it's awful. Like we perform small updates, everything is fine. But transaction lasts one hour, and those updates that were in the very beginning locks associated with those updates are still held. So uh, you have uh, yeah, a lot of yeah. blocked concurrent queries. and they are vi- those like victim queries. They can can be of course uh, can reach statement timeout and fail. So we see degradation. Uh, in, in best case, a statement timeout will save us to to have a, like a chain reaction. But uh, still not good. Yeah, <laughs> that's Reduces why I is I,
0: downtime, but doesn't. Yeah. yeah,
1: that's why I think by default in LTP transaction duration also should be limited. And I saw people implementing this on application side, which is of course like a weak implementation because uh, you may have multiple um, application code parts if sometimes True. in different yeah. different languages. So. And s- still somebody can connect it using some tool and so on. So like I, I would rather see it on Postgres side, but doesn't exist yet. Yeah. And
0: just to go back to something you said earlier, so if you set quite an aggressive one, let's say even if it's 30 seconds as a timeout, if we're doing a, a big data migration or if we if we need to do a big uh, schema change or add a, add a large index, we might need to set that. Yeah,
1: okay. Of course. I'm guessing if we create an index concurrently... Yeah, you should do statement timeout set to zero, so right?
0: yeah
1: right but it's there is uh, another topic yeah we probably probably discuss it next time about lock timeout setting. let's keep it outside of today's discussion so yeah exactly this is a good point wonderful definitely i think, I think we've done all right there well, what i write about it actually like sometimes people say we don't want to have timeout because it's painful you reach it you fail well if you have 15 seconds and then you fail you see it immediately then you said like, if you have th- 30 minutes, for example, <laughs> and you fail after 30 minutes, damage already there. And you also like a l- a feedback loop is huge. This is painful, but small statement timeouts are not that painful. People see them. People adjust settings, go. That's, that's a really that's good it. point. I'd not considered
0: that, that smaller painfully. Is Of course, the user yeah. doesn't see what they're expecting to see, and there's a problem. But in the grand scheme of things, it's a much smaller problem than you'd have had if it had been uh, minutes or, or longer. Yeah, great point.
1: Right, small timeouts are, are good in terms of user experience. Yeah. <laughs> because it's like fail fast and, and and adjust. That's it. Right. Awesome. Is there anything else you wanted to so cover on that? Maybe that's it I for so. for first step. Uh, pilot... Uh, episode right yeah let's see uh, let's see what people will tell us in twitter where where we can get a yeah twitter would feedback. be
0: great i'll put some links in our in the show notes uh so you can find us yeah please let us know what you think what you want to be discussed any questions you have
1: be really welcome thank you nikolai see you next Good. week see you Bye bye